Hey coaches, this is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball, and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, this is Coach Kevin Furtado, and I'd like to welcome you to Episode 22 of the Championship Vision Podcast. Today, we're going to be interviewing Coach Chuck Miller, a legendary basketball coach here in Georgia. Um, He has coached for over 36 years. His overall record is 865 and 601. 59% 59% winning percentage, sixth in Georgia uh, of all time. Total games coach, 1,467, seventh most in history of Georgia as of 2003. Uh, he has coached girls for 28 years, coached boys basketball for 30, coached boys and girls basketball for 22 years. Uh, total players who have signed to play college basketball. 30-plus, players who have signed to play college basketball at Henry County High School, 14. He was part of the Georgia Athletic Coaches Association, elected president in 1998 after serving first, second, third, and fourth vice president. State Boys Basketball Chairperson two times, received Lifetime Membership Award 2007, uh, received the Dwight Keith Award 2003, served on Original Hall of Fame Selection Committee in 2000. As part of the Georgia High School Association, he served on the Executive Committee from Regions 4A, Four, 4A and 5A served as region secretary for regions 4 and region, regions 4 and 5. President of region 5 AAA served as a Georgia high school representative in state playoffs in basketball, football, baseball, and soccer. Chairperson of the committee to pre- present the proposal to send four basketball teams to the state tournament. As part of the Atlanta Tip-Off Club, he was awarded the Steve Schmidt Outstanding Contribution to Women's Basketball in 2003. He was the chairperson for Metro and State Player Selection Committee and member of the ATOC State Advisory Board. Georgia Athletic Directors Association, he was selected the Region AD of the Year four times, 1994-1999-2008-2010. Owner of Superstar Team Basketball Camp from 1978 to 2000, at one time the largest girls and boys team camp in the Southeast. Chuck has been married 42 years to wife Debbie. She works for Mortgage Loan Originator for Heritage South Mortgage Company. Son Kurt Miller is the current athletic director at Ola High School, head boys basketball coach. Daughter Lynn. Pulling. Grandchildren are Jessica, Stephanie, Amy, Lee, Olivia, and Ava. Coaches like to welcome the legendary coach Chuck Miller.
here. Hello? Hi, Coach. How you doing, my man? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Hey, hey, hey. I, I'm hoping this is a great interview, but I sure appreciate you being patient with me. <laughs> my man, my man. You know, I was telling my wife when when you when you retire, you know, when you've been as active as I had been, and then you retire and you get sick and you really don't do nothing, and then you get challenged to do something that's supposed to be pretty simple. You realize, you realize once again how old and useless you are. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, and sometimes it's just technical difficulties. Um, anytime you're dealing with the phone, whether that's Wi-Fi or the internet and so forth, uh, it could be problems. But um, it, it was probably just the phone. Um, maybe there's certain that's phones. Yeah, yeah, no problem at all. Well, so we're so glad. Chuck, uh, this is just a great passion of mine. I, I love talking to the great coach. And uh, I know you had a great career. And uh, I got a lot of coaches that. I mean, we're, we're, we're excited about kind of hearing all. The great. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your family and how you got in in particular that had a big hang on I, let me go to another phone i'm not getting a good reception right here let me go to another phone okay okay hang up just a second hang on Nah, no, no problem, Coach. Um, okay, now here we go. Good, good. Can you? Yeah, yeah, this is better. Uh, when I when I first started coaching, it was in, and uh, I had an unusual start to even getting into coaching. Um. And because I got cut off every high school basketball team that I ever tried out for. So I went to college at West Georgia by accident too. And that, that's a long story that is kind of funny, but, but anyway, I went to, to West Georgia where they didn't give scholarships. Right. And, and the first semester we had a good team. It was like seven and one. Well, then grades came out. And we lost, you know, four or five players. I forgot the exact number. We lost four or five players to grades. Well, Coach Corner goes into his PE classes and has tryouts. <laughs> and he said, and I mean, truthfully, he, you know, because we didn't have scholarships. So he goes in there because he got to fill the team up with folks he's already got registered in school. So he goes into tryouts, and there's two of us. And uh, he asked us if we want to play college basketball. And I said, shoot, yeah, coach, <laughs> what do we do? And so I did, and the other guy did. And he said, uh, be back another week or whatever it was early for Christmas break. We'll take care of your food and all this kind of stuff. And he said, y'all are on the team. And so I said, yeah. So I go home and tell my mom and daddy, you know, I'm on the college basketball team. And, of course, they don't. I don't think they really believed it. But um, 
So anyway, I go back and I get completely hooked on basketball. And I ended up my freshman year being like the sixth or seventh man. And I got to play a bunch and even lettered and um, ended up being one of the, uh, the first me and Brookings, I believe, were the first two that lettered four years at West Georgia. Uh, another guy named Steve Bridges, he uh, was at when West Georgia was a junior college. He lettered two years there, and then when it became a four-year, he did. But David and me were the, the first two that did uh, four years, you know, at the uh, at the four-year school. So I get – I'm totally hooked on it. And uh, so I graduate. And I'm doing my student teaching at Towers High School, and I come back one day, and uh, they've got the this the school systems are in there having their recruitment deal in the gym, and I walk in and just happen to walk up to uh, Meriwether County, and they've got a um, a lady there, and I sit down and just by accident sit down, and start talking and come to find out they need a social studies teacher and a boys basketball coach. And of course that's, that's exactly what I want to do. And I mean, I don't care. It's class C cause you know, in college, you don't know the difference between, I think it was just triple A and down double A and sure. A and B and class C back then. And, uh, you know, I just got a chance to be the head basketball coach. So, you know, I, I tell her I want to apply so she said, well, what we want you to do is come meet the superintendent. So I go down and meet the superintendent. And, um, you know, I've gotten married by then. And uh, so we go down and there's a teaching position for my wife. And, you know, and everything's fine. And, of course, being fresh out of college, I got all the answers. The problem is I don't know the questions. <laughs> and, and so, uh, you, you know, it's a, a shattering experience for me. And you know, we, we didn't have football. It was all basketball. So after Labor Day, we started basketball practice. And so then I was just coaching the boys. And, uh, uh, you know, we were not real good. But I wasn't a good coach either. I think the boys were better, you know, better, deserved a little bit better coach than I was at that time and probably my last year too. But <laughs> we go – we go, uh, you know, we go along and we're owing what six or whatever it is. And I go scout this, this, um, Talbot County on Tuesday night. And there's a referee there. And the referee, because we're, we hadn't integrated by then. And so the referee and this six, four, six, five kids' daddy get in it. So the referee kicks the guy out of the gym, keep, kicks the daddy out of the gym, tees the boy up kicks the daddy out of the gym. Well, Ernie and them will not like this, but Friday night we're playing Talbot County and the referee that kicked the daddy out, he comes in the gym and I go up and shake his hand and show him what to do and all this kind of stuff. And if I was to bet anything, I would have bet he had a drink or two. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so he comes in and he said, Coach, who we play who we playing tonight? And I said, Talbot County. He said, Coach, how many games you won this year? And I said, None. And he said, Well, I think we're fixing to win one tonight. <laughs> sure. And I said, well, yeah. All right, that's good news. And we ended up winning. 
So on Saturday, we end up having a region meeting. Now, I'm in the region, and I don't know if you know all these guys. Now, of course, you know Norman Carter. Sure, sure. White, uh, uh, Walter Cook at Pike County. Um, J.B. Hawkins is in the Hall of Fame. Right. Uh, he, was, he was at Hawkinsville. Kelly Summers was in Greenville. One of the best human beings that's ever coached was a guy named Paul Sheets, and he was at Little Yatesville High School. And there were – Tom, uh, Tom, right, Thompson, right? Thompson? Is that Thompson? Yeah. Thompson? Yatesville High School combined with uh, Robert E. Lee. That's right. And That's that, right. And that made up some high school. And uh, they, I mean, they were just a lot. And Mary Person, well, they weren't in our region, though. So, anyway, at the end of the region meeting, you know, I ain't said a word because I'm still in awe of all them great coaches. And Joe Bell, I tell you, I forgot Joe Bell at Milner High School was in that region too. And so the newspaper guy there covered it because it wasn't football. So they, that was the big thing back then in 65, 66 in that area with basketball. And because we started playing early and it, that was just, they closed the town up like they do for football games. Well, back then they closed it up for basketball. And uh, so at the end of the meeting, um, I'm trying to do something to get in, get in with the guy. So I asked that newspaper guy, I said, Mr. Newspaper guy. And I remember like it happened yesterday. I said, you know, you got a great story here. And I bet you hadn't thought about. And other coaches, all them good coaches turned around to see what I was going to come out of my mouth. He said, what is it coach? And I said, do you realize I bet you got a thousand plus victories in this room? And he said, coach, he said, you know, I ain't even thought about that. He said, that would be a great article. He said, y'all hold on a minute. And so he goes around to Norman and Joe and all them good coaches and ask how many victories they got. Well, as fate would have it, their records at that time came up to being about, oh, matter of fact, they came out to being a thousand. <laughs> and so, so that newspaper guy said, Coach, how'd you know that? And I said, I didn't, but you know what? I told you there would be a thousand plus victories here tonight. And the guy says, Well, how many victories you got? And I said, Do you realize if it wasn't for me, it would stay on a thousand? The being that I'm getting included, it's a thousand and one. That's right. <laughs> he said, Coach, that may that may be the best part of the story. <laughs> but all of those guys down there were just Every time you went to a game, it was a coaching clinic because all of them were great. I mean, I was the only scrub in that region. And, you know, I played Milner High School when I was at Woodbury. I played Milner like the second or third game of of the year. And Joe Bell, who I ended up following at Milner, he ran a matchup zone. A one-three-one matchup zone. Right. Well, I didn't know what a matchup zone was from nothing, so I think they're playing man to man. So after the ball game, I go up to him and I shake his hand. I said, "Coach, that's the best man to man defense I ever seen." And I said, "I ain't real coached a lot, obviously, but played college ball, but I've never seen a man to man defense like that." And he said, "Well, we appreciate it." Well, I had ordered some books from the coach's bookstore or whatever the name was, you could order coaching books. 
and had ordered a book by chance, and it came on Monday. And <laughs> the title of the book was Coaching the one three one matchup. <laughs> yeah. And I said, that son of a gun. <laughs> man, man, he's playing his own on us. And so I read that book. And then the next time we played him was at Woodbury and we played him better. They still beat us, but they, they played us. They, we played them a little bit better. And he, matter of fact, he, I remember him telling now, get telling this story. He said, coach, you read a book or a magazine or something he said you gave us a little bit of trouble with that overload you ran and i said coach matter of fact i did <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah you, you you probably had to learn quick back in those days coach oh i did i meant you just you know i don't think i was ever cocky smart aleck or or anything like that but you just felt like you knew what you wanted to do. But, you know, I played Walter Cook one night. Every game was a learning experience. I played, and I had a boy named George uh, Stevens, I believe. I can't remember George's last name, but he passed away, unfortunately. But anyway, he has one of them first halves. And then he just lights it up. Well, Walter Cook, who's pa- he passed away, uh, also – well, he comes out the second half and runs a triangle boxing one on George. <clears throat> do I know what to do? Ain't got a clue what to do. I mean, no clue. Ain't never seen a boxing one before. And, of course, we end up getting beat due to my inexperience and, and not knowing how to attack that boxing one. Didn't know how to what to do. And, um, and I told him after the game, I said, <laughs> I said, Coach, I said, you got me tonight. I said, I didn't have a clue what to do, but I said, I will next time. And then he turned around to me. He said, yeah, that kid probably never get hot like that again. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, well, I, you know, that's a great story because – and that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you some questions later because I don't think the coaches these days realize the great Georgia coaches in high school – that have kind of made this state to what it is. I mean, I think we forget about the the great legends, don't we? I think nowadays basketball has <clears throat> has changed to where uh, I be careful when I say this. I I don't think basketball. It's obviously because of integration more talented than what it used to be. And what a lot of people don't understand, now the game has changed for the better. Back in the day, you know, I, my first great, I had a real good player named Harold Grubbs at Woodbury, who was also a, a great pitcher. The first D1 player that I had was a kid named Bobby York. And when I got to Milner, and Bobby came out at the same time Joby Wright came out. And what folks didn't understand is back in the early days, you had to run stuff to create shots for your players. That's why the shuffle and all those different offenses uh, were because you had great kids that would work their butt off, but they couldn't take you one-on-one, Right. the majority of the players that you had. Now, you might have one or two 
that were pretty good. And with, you know, I remember uh, J.B. Hawkins had his son that played for him down at uh, down at Hawkinsville, and he's a heart surgeon now. But now he could take you one on one, and there were players that could take you one on one. But what ended up happening is if that player got in foul trouble, you had to put somebody in that could not do all that. So we had to run plays back in those days to get kids shots. And, you know, because, you know, and nowadays that kind of is looked on as being negative. Well, nowadays, if I had some of the talent coaching nowadays that I had, when I was at Monticello and Cartersville and even the early, even a lot of the days at, at Henry County, I would not be running the same stuff nowadays that I ran back in those days. Because back in those days, it was just a different style basketball. It's crazy, you know, as crazy as that might sound. Yeah, and you have won – you have won over 865 games, and that's pretty amazing. What were some of the what were some of the cornerstones of your programs that led to your success? And you coach both. A lot of people don't know you. You coach boys and girls. Uh, what were some right, of the what were right. some of the cornerstones? I mean, what were some of the key things that you did in your programs? Coach, I, I listened to what you uh, said with Gene. Yes. And Gene, Gene and, uh, and, uh, Jane, uh, Azar at Weston. Yes. What a lot of people don't, what a lot of people don't understand. And I did not do this. I, I could not carry their tennis shoes is the way they organize their programs. Um, you know, in all honesty, when I had pretty good players, you know, we were pretty good. And, I prided myself when I did not have the best players against the team that we were being able to have worked them on fundamentals so much, but there's no like a breakfast club or there was, there's, I didn't, I wasn't smart enough to do anything like that. We spent uh, many hours in the gym one-on-one and, and two-on-two. And, you know, and of course, back in the early days, we started practicing after Labor Day. Right. There wasn't all these rules that you have now. And uh, we had them in PE classes. And so, you know, like my fourth period, my fourth period PE class was my varsity girls basketball team. And uh, we I developed my class into two groups, A and B. And A was the uh, basketball players. And, oh, excuse me, A was the non-basketball players. And I had stuff that they did. And B was the basketball players. And we'd go practice basketball. And then sixth period, I had the boys. So we didn't have to stay after school, but we could practice year-round. We didn't really do that, but we could have practiced all – well, we practiced a lot, but it, it wasn't uh, as limited as it is nowadays. You know, back in those days where we were, you know, we had to get those kids out of school so they could ride the bus home because most of them didn't have cars. Right. And so that's that's the reason we got by, or nobody came up with the idea of no practice during school. Yeah, and uh, I, I really, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, and I love that. What's funny is, like, in 
those times, you guys get more time on the scene. Nowadays, it's all about games. And that I, I just I love my kids in the gym they're working on their strength. Now. Hello? You're kind of breaking up. Yeah, can you hear me okay? Yeah, can hear you now. Yeah. I was talking about, like, you know, what you were saying was you guys put a lot of time on, on practicing. You mentioned about, you know, working on one-on-one skills and working on fundamentals. But but back in – but nowadays, it's all about playing games and travel ball. I mean, you see some issues with that? The thing that I that I see that I vehemently uh, dislike is the the way the high school coach is not in the link with with the colleges like they should be. If it wasn't for the high school coach, these crooks and there's good guys, but these crooks trying to sell players and do all this kind of stuff to build their their own egos up a lot of times leave the high school coach out and the colleges that are a high school coach is the first one they go to, but for the competition that, that they're involved in and the cheating that apparently is going on with the AAU and some of the other stuff, you know, the high school coach just kind of gets screwed. Uh, the parents, you know, the, the way they, the thing that really, really, irritates me now and if you're on instagram you'll you'll you can you can tell from some of the posts that i make it's a cheating that's going on it used to be it used to be that even when i was at cartersville you didn't you you didn't hear about kids moving around and coaches recruiting or coaches getting their best friend to go talk to joe plays over at cedartown to come over here to Cartersville to play. You just didn't have it. You know, Wack Hyder, <clears throat> Wack Hyder, when he coached at Tech, he got to talking about uh, some of the places that he recruited, how the cheating was going on. And he said, I want to go back to high school. I would like to go back to high school coaching where I take the guys that live in my district and coach them. You take the guys that live in your district and you coach them and we play each other. And unfortunately, that's not what's happening nowadays. Now, with your good coaches that are good people that teach their kids the right values, et cetera, and so forth, that you'd want your kid, my son, my daughter to play for, that, you know, that's getting kind of shoved by the wayside. Now, I want to clarify, there are some programs that because of the coach, and I'll use Gene Durden as an example. If I had a daughter that was in high school, I would move to let my daughter play for Gene Durden. You're right. In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. And there's some people, when Gene was at Dade County, when I first got to know him, um, and I got a funny story about Gene came down to uh, when he's at state tournament, we had gotten to know each other the year before. And he asked if he could practice in the gym. And I said, well, that's where the state tournament was going. 
the the uh, the double A state term was going. I said, well, Gene, I can't let you practice in my gym, but you can go to our junior high gym. So I take him over to the junior high, and I take my son Kurt with me. And Kurt's still in high school playing ball. And so we we go in there and open the gym up. And I said, Kurt, let's just sit down here. I don't want to watch Coach Durden practice a little bit. And I'm talking about when them girls were off of the court. They were standing still, slow motion. Daughter. When they set foot on that court, they ain't stopped running yet and moved because that's the way they play. Right. And so we're, we're sitting there about 30 minutes. He said, he did that. He said, let's go. I said, and I got a little notepad out, and I'm taking some notes on some of the stuff that Gene's doing. I said, no, Kurt, I want to watch. I want to watch. Let's go. I said, son, I want to watch this, and I got the keys to the truck, so we're staying. <laughs> so so we stayed there a little bit longer, and he said, Dad, let's go. I said, Kurt, would you know you want to be a coach one day? Why? Why don't you want to hear and watch this? And he said, because I'm afraid you're going to start making us do some of this stuff. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, you know, I don't know. I got kind of off topic there a little bit, but uh, but, uh, but anyway, can you hear me pretty good? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. okay. Sometimes it's hard to hear with the audio, though. But I, I understand what you're saying. Gene's a master, man. He's a oh. uh, no. <clears throat> I always recommend coaches because I, I, I always have them at my clinic that I have at you, out here. And um, I was hoping you would come this year. I know we're trying to. I wish I could. Yeah, I know. I know. I know, you know, your illness and everything. It's very tough. Um, but, um, hey, coach, tell me about coaching girls and boys. Uh, I coach girls. Uh, tell me the difference in your mind some of the positives, some of the things that are different, because you basically have equal number of wins with boys and girls. Tell me how you did that. Good players. <laughs> <laughs> Good players. Uh, what what happened to me, the first year I was at Woods, and we were like three and something the first year. Well, the second year, Sally Coleman, who ended up going to Stockbridge, left Woodbury. And she had a real good team. And the principal called me in one day, and he said, um, I want you to coach the girls this year. And I said, well, I said, Mr. Moore, I said, I done went through hell with them boys last year trying to get them right, and I think we're going to be better this year. I he said, no, you're going to coach both of them. I said, both of them? And he said, yeah, that's what we do in this region. He said, you're the only one that just coaches one team. And I got to thinking about it, and all of them at that time, except maybe Norman, uh, coached both of them. And I said, well, he said, I said, I don't know. And he said, can you play? You know how to teach three-on-three, three, don't you? And I said, well, yeah. He said, that's all it is, is three-on-three basketball. And I said, well. And he said, besides, you got a lot of them coming back. And I said, well, he said, you may win more games with the girls than you're going to win with the boys. And I said, well, if you want me to, I guess I will. And he said, you ain't got no choice. <laughs> and, so, and so what I what I found out is even back in those days, the girls will listen to you 
a whole lot more than the boys will. Not that they they don't they want to learn. You know, the girls want to get better. Uh, and if you don't have any drama on your team, coaching girls is one of the most funnest things you can coach, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because they they will bust their rears for you. And you can get on them, but you just got to – they've got to know that you care about them, just like the boys do. You just got to know about – care about them. I probably, in all honesty, got to where I was a little – you know, coaching both of them as long as I did. I think I did both of them 23, 24 years, something like that. Um, I, I was trying to – I got to where I maybe tried to prove that I wasn't favoring the girls over the boys. And I maybe, you know, at times have been a little too hard on the girls, more than, you know, probably what I should have been. But, uh, you know, we had good we had good kids. If you got good kids, it's fun to go to practice. Sure. The boys – the boys, um, they're fun to coach in a different way. With the boys, it's more a manly type thing, you know. They, they just, they're just, it's more of a, I don't know, it's a manly type thing than it is with the girls. The girls just want to be treated like athletes. And the boys want to be treated like they got all the answers. And of course, most of the time they don't have the questions to get to all the answers. That's right. But, but you know, with very, very, you know, when you retire and you look back on it, you know, I was probably as fortunate uh, to have a lot of the kids that I had that were just good people. You know, when I went to Woodbury, it was a great town, great place. When I went to Milner, it was a great community, a great place. Basketball was king there. Um, when I went to Monticello, football was king there. I coached football with Lamar Lippum and coached girls and boys basketball, and just and it was the first integrated situation that I'd been in. When I was in college, a guy named Herb White and me worked for the Decatur Recreation Center, and we would go to Decatur wreck and play ball I, I ran a swimming pool and i forget what herb did but then we'd go in there and play with all the white guys well they'd shut the gym down and the black players would come in and me and herb would be the only two white guys in there and i'd get my butt wore slap dab out but because herb was good but i really wasn't all that good but and then outside of that days and you know didn't didn't think anything about it when I went to Mill or to Monticello, I had never been in an integrated situation. Never. And though the black community in Monticello, I didn't know when I went there, but there was a great coach named Lester Davis who had been bypassed for the job when integration came. And and then when I took the job, he got bypassed again. And I didn't know this when I went there. I just had been out of coaching a year, and I just wanted a coaching job. Well, when I went there, I learned that we're all human beings. And those people 
knowing that Lester should have been the head coach. I mean, they could not have been any nicer accepting to me than they were. And, of course, we were good. Uh, and I don't know if that helped or not, but I know I know uh, that that really opened my eyes up to the real world. And, uh, and, and, you know, when you go, when I went there and when I left there, and went to Cartersville, uh, I was lucky, didn't know it at the time, but we had a real good bunch of kids coming, boys coming that, I, you know, I didn't know about. The girls had been good up there. And the principal just told me, he said, he said, your job is to build a boys program here and don't mess up the girls because <laughs> we're good. And I said, well, I tried not to do that. <laughs> I tried not to mess them up. Right. And, and um and we had eight great years up there and then coming to uh, henry county where i ended up finishing up you know it was a rough start to begin with but um uh because there were some they wanted some other people the community wanted some other people two other guys to be the coach and and i didn't know that when i took the job but to begin with you know, we were not real good. I, I I can't remember what our records were, but the boys weren't real good and the girls weren't real good. And finally, we had a parent meeting, and I told them, I said, this is the way it is. I said, I ain't going nowhere. But I tell you what, if y'all will leave us alone, leave them alone, we got a chance to be pretty good. Fate would have it, we ended up. Uh, taking both teams to state, which was the first time in the history of the school. And uh, the boys were region runner-ups, and the girls were region runner-ups. And Tracy Waits was at Rockdale County, and I don't know if you remember her, but she was the reason we were region runner-ups and the girls, because they were, you know, she was great. Ended up going to Georgia and playing and all that stuff. Right. But, uh, I, so I just, I've been fortunate. I, I really have been fortunate. Yeah, and – um, I, I've heard a lot of stories about you and your camps. My, uh, my fiance, Nikki Haney played at, uh, Macintosh. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember her, but she remembers you and your camps and she has, uh, she has some of the best experiences were, uh, going to your camps. And I know a Macintosh had some pretty good teams. Oh God. Yeah, they did. Um, sure did. but, uh, Hey, tell me about, um, some of the great coaches you, you coached with that time. And of course, you know, I spoke with AC McCullers. I know, you know, AC Norman Carter, oh, yeah. Jackie, Jackie Bradford, Jane Williamson. Uh, oh, yeah. Of course they're all still around and they're, they're all doing pretty well. Uh, and I've, I've always asked them the same questions. It's like, um, what was this, you know, how many great coaches that Georgia had back in the day? And you mentioned even more, uh, tell me a little bit about the kind of the the great coaches back in you know back in the sixties, seventies, eighties. There were some great coaches, huh? Oh, there were great coaches. One, the, the the coach that probably had the biggest influence on my career uh, just passed away last December, and he was outside of my family. He ended up being my best friend. It's a guy named George Eames, and he was down at Brooks County, won two state championships down there. He's in the GACA Hall of Fame. Um, and 
when I went to Monticello, Stockbridge was on the schedule, which was where he was coaching. Well, I didn't know Stockbridge from Podunk. And I'd heard that their girls were pretty good. Well, when he comes in, I'm awful about remembering names. And I mean awful about remembering names. So when he comes in the gym, I introduce myself, and he tells me the, the name's George Eames. And I said, Coach, welcome to Monticello, all this kind of stuff, and showed him where to To make a long story short, before the game started, I had to ask his name maybe four times. <laughs> I ended up asking it again at halftime. Well, they beat us 90-something to 40-something. And I didn't know – I didn't know him then. But I didn't know that I'd really ticked him off. He thought I was being a smart aleck. And I was disrespecting him because, you know, he's a great coach and I can't remember his name. After the game, I go up there to shake his hand. And, I mean, I'm impressed with his girls. I go shake his hand. And he grabs that thing and he said, boy, the name's Eames, E-A-N-E-S. And I bet you won't forget it now. (laughs) Oh, man. I grab a hold of his hand, and I say, Coach, you and me are going to end up being friends. I said, I like that, and I meant you no disrespect. And uh, we we ended up with a with a long-term friendship, you know, since that was in like 72 or 73, and then, you know, he passed away, like I say, last year. Right. And uh, uh, it, he, he probably influenced me as, as much as any. I was out of coaching one year, and uh, the the biggest the the biggest thing that I learned, and Gene alluded to part of something that we totally agree on that I noticed every time I go watch him play. I was out of coaching a year. Well, no, you know we'd gone to we'd won the region at Milner, and we'd gone to state with the girls, and you know, but when I was out of coaching that year. I just said, you know, I don't know what I need to know. And I don't know why I do the things that I think I believe in doing. And I set that year to just try to figure out what I wanted to do and why I wanted to do it. And I went to Norman Carter, went over to his house one night. And uh, we sat down and we talked basketball. And I, I don't remember how long we talked basketball. And I got him to draw some stuff up. And, you know, a little bitty thing like how many steps, how many dribbles to shoot a layup. Well, Norman, there were four steps from the wing and five steps from the top of the circle. And... I got to thinking about that kind of stuff, you know, and I got to thinking about well, I'm on the way home and I got to thinking about why do we teach different pivot feet? You know, because back then, sure. if you was on one side of the floor, you use left foot to pivot foot. If you're on the other side, you use your right foot to pivot foot. And I got to, why do we do that? And I said, if your right foot is your pivot foot, you can't step into your shot if you're right handed. Right, sure. And I remember. When I got home that night, I'm, I, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, and I get out of my truck, and I'm out in the driveway, and I'm working on my pivot foot. And I, I decided right then that I was going to teach 
left foot is your pivot foot. Period. No discussion. If you're right-handed, we're going to teach the left foot's pivot foot. And I remember how many dribbles and four steps to the goal and you cross over, you make it in three steps and dot all this kind of stuff. Well, nowadays, you know, that's become a little, the, the right foot's, excuse me, the left foot being your pivot foot, the permanent pivot foot, I think they call it now. Yeah, it's, yeah. Permanent. It's, becoming, it's becoming more popular. And, and they're teaching now one dribble, how you push the ball out. Well, me and my son had a... <laughs> disagree on that but you know i think you even though you got four steps and of course gene teaches the one dribble and uh shooting a layup but i just you know i can't get that in my mind where you you take four steps and one dribble even though you're pushing it out and i understand the philosophy behind it right but what i i guess the point i'm trying i've gotten off of what i did is i went and tried to solidify why do I believe in doing this? And I gave a talk. Uh, I've given this talk a couple of times. Why do you do what you do as a coach? And, of course, to begin with, you know, people, oh, BS, I don't want, you know, that don't make any sense. But it, it does make sense. And to me, it's the most important thing about coaching. Why do you teach man-to-man defense for example why do you teach switching on screens why do you not believe in switching on screens what because if you don't if you don't know why you believe in doing such and such you like gene and me believe in that because he's done a whole lot better than i have the uh the sagging man-to-man right, defense. Sure. I do that. and uh um uh, you know, and if you don't know why you believe in doing something and you are steadfast, you, you'll change, you know, uh, you know, you can adopt with the situation and all like that. But my base is I believe in doing this because of this. And, you, you know, you can't teach your kids. And a lot of coaches will will run a certain play, for example. But what do you do if they trap the first pass? Yeah, try to. Do you have an option. Yeah. You, do, do, do you work on the, in practice in trapping the first pass? Right. Is the only way you can get into your offense is uh, through a pass? Do you have a dribble entry into your offense? Do you have a – because we, we tried to always have a bounce pass into our offense. A chest pass meant something, and uh, a dribble meant something. We had three different keys to get into our offense, and then if we reversed it, then that meant something. And, you know, late in the career, we got to where when I was just coaching girls, we ended up having to call too much, and we couldn't really – do all that kind of stuff because our, our point guard situation got kind of bad when we had so many injuries. But, you know, I believe in that. And they said, well, why? I said, because that's what I believe in doing. And I want my kids to believe in it because they know I believe in it. That's just what we're going to do. Yeah, and if you believe in it, more than likely they will. They will. Yeah. They will. Um, I love that, Coach, because – most coaches 
that have coached a long time, they 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 don't they don't they don't think like that. They think they're just they're going to run what they run, but they really don't understand why. It's amazing. There's a lot of coaches out there like that. Oh yeah, you know it it used to be, and, and I'm, I'll be honest about it. When Hubie Brown and you know Fratello and all that group were, you know, that's when I was at Carter's one. We'd go down there and would and watch them practice. And a lot of times you get tempted to do something because somebody else does it. One of the one of the strangest stories that that I've got about doing stuff is when I was at Cartersville, College Park was in their heyday. Ken Ross, and he's a great, he's a good guy and a great coach, and he had some great basketball teams. Well, we're going to go play them. And when we were running the matchup zone at Monticello, and then we continued to, to run it at Cartersville, I wanted some some type of an offense that I could run against the matchup zone and a man-to-man zone in case we just got all messed up and didn't know where to wind or watch or scratch our butt. So I just happened to be at the, be at the coach's clinic, and I saw a booklet from Bob, uh, Tom Davis, I believe is his name. Yes. Uh, used to coach at Iowa. Yes, sir. And the overload offense that he ran. And so I bought that book, and during that clinic, I got to looking at that thing. I said, I'm going to run this. I said, this is what I've been looking for. So we ran the, the overload offense uh, little, uh, when I was at Monticello. Well, when I go to Cartersville, we're still running it because I believe in it. You know, we're still running the matchup zone. Uh, adapt to the kind of players you've got or don't have. And so we, we go to, we go to uh, the Scout College Park playing Russell. And me and Debbie, my wife, we're sitting up in the stands. And she's keeping a shot chart for me. And I'm writing down all this kind of stuff. And I look and I said, Debbie, they're running our offense. <laughs> and Ken is running that same offense. And, and Rusty Hudson had been his assistant. I don't know if Rusty gave it to him or, or how he got But he's running that offense. We're running his offense. He's running our offense. I said, we're going to be able to defend that thing because we know what they're going to do. And I, my wife didn't say anything, so we watched it a little bit longer. And I said, you know, I feel better about that. We both run the half-court trap, one three one. We both run that offense. And, you know, we both will play man-to-man defense. I said, I think we got a chance. we got a good scouting report. <laughs> my wife just as serious as me. She said, I ain't going to do any good. And I said, what? And she says, they ain't going to do any good. They're going to beat us. I said, Debbie, what are you talking about? He said, <laughs> said, and I cannot remember the name, the names of the kids now. But she said, she's got, he's got number 52, and we don't. His point That's guard right. is better than our point guard. <laughs> and she went down there. I said, dang, Debbie, you just taught me I don't want to play him. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah, it's all about the players, right? <laughs> yep, and, and of course we, you know, he beat me more than I beat him, but we beat him, you know, we beat him one or two times anyway. Yeah. During the course of, we continued the thing. I finally called him up one time when we was at Cartersville, and we were not, we were not going to be using that run of athletes, and uh, still doing a good coaching job and all that kind of stuff. And I said, Ken, we ain't going to play you anymore. 
And he said, why? I said, I can't beat you. I said, you got better players than I got. And I ain't going to lie to you. I ain't on no ego trip. I said, there ain't no sense in us taking two losses that we don't have to take. And I'm just going to be straight up on sweet. And he said, he mentioned a certain coach's name. And, and he said, you know, I've often wondered why so-and-so didn't make the same phone call that you make because he ain't never going to beat us in his two losses. And I said, well, I said, I'm not personally afraid to play you. But it, I just don't see putting my kids through that. I said, that's just the way it is. I want to give him a chance to win. And so, you know, we quit playing him. And then when he went to Riverdale, uh, we played him when he was at Riverdale. And, uh, of course, you know, he was doing the same thing that he was doing when he was at College Park. And he had some good play. And, uh, you know, the, the situation changed up there. And those, those people wanted him to play a different style. Uh, than what he what he was going to play, and he was right in what he wanted to do, and so he ended up, you know, retiring and leaving Riverdale, and that was to those those people's loss when when Ken left Riverdale because they they lost a good coach in him. Yeah, and sometimes you wonder who's making these decisions. I mean, when you have a good coach, the kid. I'll let them go. Um, but nowadays, even, even nowadays is almost worse. But I'm sure even back then, you know, you had not the right people making decisions. So I'm sure <clears throat> that was not a good decision to, um, you know, get a new coach. And, and your overload, tell me a little about because uh, I, I run something similar. You ran the um, – you, you had a baseline runner, right? We had the five-man. Right. Um, right. And, uh, yeah, Um. I love that offense. Tom Davis, a lot of people don't remember Tom Davis. He had a lot of good stuff, didn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. See, what we what we did, if I'm playing you, and you know I'm going to do it because I spend more time doing it than you're going to spend stopping me from doing it. So right. what we tried to do, if we ran the, the first half, we'd run we'd run break up the right side of the second side. But we'd run the break, and we had to – the Carolina stuff that, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But we would always end up sending the three man down the right side and the two man uh, would go down to, would be on the, end up being on the left wing. And the reason that I did that is because when we were in that overload, the two man, our second guard, uh, was going to end up being, if we went to a two guard set out of it, he'd end up already being there. And then we'd run the three man on the baseline. And uh, fortunately, you know, I'll, most years I always had a good guy that could play, that could rebound and play that, that three spot. Right. You know, I had Lamar Hurd at Henry County. I had a guy named Douglas Jackson down in Monticello. Uh, we just usually had a good three man. And, um, uh, you know, we do that kind of stuff. If I had a post player when we were reversing the ball that could step out and take you one-on-one, shoot when we were reversing the ball we'd do it and if not we just set the baseline double baseline screen for the three man with the option if you switched off or left a little gap there the the point are we try to get the ball inside and if we didn't we throw it down the man in the in the corner for him to shoot it take you off the dribble or feed inside you know just just all that you know that kind of stuff yeah, and it, what was great about it is, and a lot of teams don't do enough. Again, zone, it had great movement. I don't, I don't think 
teams, I don't think themselves nor the ball. I mean, how many zones, zone offense do you see players trying to dribble, penetrate the zone? Not enough passing going on, but right. um, I see that a lot more than anything at the girls' level. When we were when we were good, about we, wa- we wanted you to end up matching up with us, and so we didn't care. You know, we didn't care if you ran a two-three zone on us. We didn't care if your back three matched up with my back three, because my back three were probably going to be better than your back three, and so we were going to play one on one, one way or the other, inside. And if uh, we would interchange our point guard and our two guard, just for just for a little rhythm, you know, just to for whatever reason. But uh, when we were good, we didn't we didn't really care running that offense, you know what you did. We had some pick and roll stuff out of it, and you know when you did play as man. But you know, I I really didn't care. I mean, I, we played Marietta with Dale Ellis, and you know, and, and and we played you know a lot of good people, and it just it just was good to us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Coach, tell me about your superstar team camp from 1978 to 2000. I've, I've heard so many things about it. Why was it so successful? And why don't we see team camps like that still instead of the ones now that are run by colleges? Well, our situation uh, came – Rodney Walker was coaching basketball at Gilmer High School, the football, the famous football coach. And he and I went to somebody, I forget where it was, team camp with his girls and, of course, my girls. And we got to talking, you know, we can do this. So we found Tiff College and ended up having a team camp down there. And then Rodney, uh, because of his football obligations, quit coaching girls' basketball. And so he got out of it. And my wife and me, Debbie, we just, we just took it over. And it just grew. And the thing that ended up being being so great about it is we, I knew so many coaches, and we'd have the. I'm gonna tell you what when we when we had when you were at Superstar Camp, even before we moved it to Atlanta, if you came out, especially with the girls, if you come out of Superstar Basketball Camp, and you won the the uh, the uh, the Thoroughbred League you had a pretty good chance to win the state. Because, I mean, we had some good, I mean, some great teams there and great players there, great coaches there. And with very few exceptions, we all got along. I mean, it ended up being like a fraternity kind of. I mean, you just, that those, those coaches went to superstar camp, and, of course, we paid them. Paid them so much a player and paid them a flat fee. And so they made money. And we made money, and we gave the kids, you know, all the legal stuff that we could give them. Gave them awards and all, and it was it was a it was a fun, it was a fun deal. But I, in answer to your question, I think the economy has gotten so bad, and money. See, we we got to where the reason we got out of it was we couldn't compete with the colleges. Right. 
there was so much we could charge, and I, I don't remember the exact fee we charged per kid, but we couldn't go up. That was that was the maximum we got, and the colleges were getting all of these benefits that we couldn't compete with, and so it just it just got to where it just was not worth the effort, the uh, the liability concerns that you had. You know, like I had a friend of mine that had a had a camp and uh, and really got Norman. Matter of fact, well, no, don't no, it wasn't Norman. It was a uh, Anyway, it was another person had a camp, and this girl tore her knee up in softball. Well, she comes to his camp and fakes an injury when they're it was an individual camp when when they're having uh, putting them in groups. She fakes a knee injury. Well, she turns around and sues Norman. Oh, it was Norman. They they turned around and sued Norman. Wow. And uh, fortunately, Norman ended up. With somebody, I think gave him a video of the girl during softball tryouts or so- softball game or whatever it was, and that's the only way he survived that. And that really got us to thinking about, you know, you're in Atlanta, um, and there's so much that can go on. You know, there's a Waffle House we all use, and we were there the week before we got there. Somebody got shot in the Waffle House, and you know, you just, you just, times change, kids change, and, uh, you know, and, and the coaches, when they'd bring them to Atlanta, they wouldn't keep up with them like they, like they should have. It just got, it just got to where it was just, I mean, I, I just, I couldn't wait to get home. You know, you, you had fun and all like that. Yeah. But you just, you just couldn't wait for the next morning to find out nothing happened that night. And you'd stay up most of the night. You know, anytime you're in a motel, you got potential, all kinds of problems in a motel. Sure. And uh, we, we wanted to take it to middle Georgia, but at that time they had the beds, but they didn't have enough gyms. So we were limited as to how many teams that we could bring. And it just, it just got to where, you know, it wasn't financially worth, the effort and the worry and everything to because we were so limited down there in the amount of money we could make. Right. So we eventually, uh, you know, like I said, we eventually just got out of the business. And I think it's, I mean, cause I mean, I, I've been to so many, I brought my team to so many team camps and you're right. I, the one thing I love what you're saying is, is, I love the competitive side of it because when you go to team camps nowadays, there's no thoroughbred division. There's no um, tournament you're playing in. You're just playing games. Um, And I love that factor on team camps. But, of course, nowadays teams have the travel ball and the AAU and all that as well. So I think probably a combination of that is probably tough for you. Yeah. uh, But it it was mainly, you know – in all honesty, there were, you know, uh, Ron Bell ran a, uh, ran a uh, team camp up in uh, yes. one of the schools up in Tennessee for them. Right. And they got the kids, the, the teams that they wanted. And in all honesty, we got, we got the schools that we wanted. We were full up um, because we also had uh, the commuters that would come in that, you know, we charge them a certain fee. 
uh, to commute. They came in, of course, they couldn't eat, but um, they we charged the you know we had the commuters and we really got the teams that we wanted. And, and I'm talking about especially well, and girls and boys. If if you if you came through superstar camp with a winning record, unless you did something to mess it up, you were probably going to state. Right. Um, and, you know, and I, I don't have all the, but you know, like Westside, when they were in their heyday from uh, Albany, Willie brought his team up and uh, they were, Monroe brought their team up. I mean, we had some, we had some great coaches. Um, when uh, Dartez was at, um, Washington County, and he was in his run down there. They were there. They just were. I mean, uh, Griffin, when when they were in their run, they brought their teams to camp. You know, it was just a, uh, like I said, if you wanted good competition, there was one place to go in the state of Georgia, and that was Superstar Basketball Camp. Right, and I've, I've, I've heard so many great things. And I, I think it's still possible, though, Coach. Maybe we get it out. I mean, you can bring it out here for us. What do you think? Coach, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I need to pick your mind on that uh, um, because I, I love that idea. And I'm, I am I know the colleges do a great job. I go to Georgia College every year. but uh, he's had They've had a good one down there for years. Yeah, Mo, Mo does a good job. And so does Mark out there at Georgia yeah. College. Yeah, um, yeah they, they do a good job. Yeah. Coach, tell me about my last question. I know it's been a long – I know – fun. Been fun talking. <laughs> tell me about your practices. I, I think your best coaches, uh, they, they run the best practices. How do you run – how do you run your practices? What advice can you give to any coaches out there? Um, I think – I got to where I had a system that I used with the girls and the boys and we incorporated early, early in the practice fundamentals, warm ups, and all that kind of stuff, jump rope. And I was big on jump ropes uh, because George Eames was big on jump rope. And he, he got me going on that. And I thought, and I got to thinking, I was watching a boxing match. My daddy was a big boxer. Um, uh, and I was watching a boxing match. It used to be on TV. I forget what night it was. But I was watching a bat, and I said, you know something? Boxing, outside of knocking the crap out of somebody, is footwork. Sure. And I said, well, what's defense? Footwork. What's offense? As well as footwork. And I said, well, how do they get – I'm thinking, how do they get such good footwork? They jump rope. And I can remember going out the next day after that boxing match. It was it seemed like it was a Thursday or Friday or something, or something. And it was before basketball practice had started. And I remember buying a bunch of rope. And I remember uh, using a lighter and you know and, and fridging the ends of it so it wouldn't unravel and cutting that jump rope. Started basketball practice. I had those jump ropes over there. And I'd already found out some drills to do, jump rope, both feet, right foot, left foot, crossover, and all that kind of stuff, you know. And we started jumping rope. And those kids thought it was so stupid to jump rope because it was – I started with the boys. No, I didn't. I started with the girls. That's right. 
started with the girls. And so when the boys came in, the girls were okay with it. When the boys came in, well, they just thought it was being sissy. So I said, okay, put the jump rope down. And we started doing footwork. And I said, y'all can't do crap. And so we started, I said, pair up with your buddy. I said, double your fist up. Make like you're boxing. Now, don't hit each other. Now, the guy on the right, put your hands up. And the guy on the left, you the boxer, you hit those hands. And I want you jumping around and bouncing around and all that kind of stuff and doing it. And I said, now, do you think if your footwork was better, you'd be a better boxer? And they just kind of stood there a minute. And I said, so if our footwork's better, we're going to be a better basketball player. Pick up the jump ropes. <laughs> and then after, after that time, we didn't, we, didn't have any, we didn't have any problem with it. We jump rope. We jump rope just about every day of practice. But I think you, you, you got to – you lead into your practices with, with warm-ups, whatever you want to do as a warm-up. And then I think you got to do some fundamentals. Every day of practice, you got to do fundamentals. Whatever your folks are weak on. And they may be you, – if you've got help – it's easier to have stations to where you got four eyes or six eyes looking at them at those stations so they just don't go through the motions. But if you don't, then we all got to do it at the same time so you can watch everybody. Unless you got a good bunch of seniors, you can put them seniors in command of a station and you're working on some type of fundamentals where it's whatever it is you want to work on. You can have Junior Peoples, who was a coach down at uh, Chris County, came to camp one, one time, and he got me hooked on that. Junior did stuff for the football team, too. He was a boys basketball coach, and he did fun. He did station drills for the football team during the winter. Uh, you know, just all sorts of footwork stuff. And he wrote them up. Matter of fact, he sent them to me. And I gave them to Kurt when I retired, and I, you know, I don't know where they are now. But I still would go back to that and relate them to doing something, lane slides or whatever it was, to improve the station drills. And then after we do station drills and we get a little tired, then we do one on, like one-on-one full court, two-on-two full court. But we tried to do it like it was going to be in a game-type situation, not just do the drill to do the drill. Right. It was something that was going to, that they would use. You know, everybody does, likes to do, and you, you see on Facebook sometimes some of these guys that are, are um, trainers and all this kind of stuff, and you watch some of the drills, and they put a, I'm like, why is somebody paying money to do something that you ain't never going to do in a game? You know, and I understand being developing confidence. Well, I can do such and such, but you ain't never going to do it in the game. And so we tried to do our fundamentals as to something that would relate to a game. You know, I've heard people say, well, we didn't use cones. Well, we used cones so we wouldn't have to waste time with a player standing there. And we made like, the cone was a player. And so, you know, I, I disagree with, with that thought process, but no matter, I'm retired. But after we would, after we would lead into our full court stuff, then we would have some type of a shooting drill 
we did a shooting drill, free throw drill at the beginning of the practice before they were tired. Then we would do a, 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 a free throw drill after we did our full court stuff, and then we'd take a break. And then we'd come in and we would we'd do offensive stuff, and then we'd do our defensive stuff, and then we would do full court situation type stuff. And then at the end of practice, almost every day, we would do some type of a two or three minute situation drill. And I had a whole list of them on what we worked on, where the ball was here with two minutes left in the game. And this team would have the ball and then we'd swap and then let them, let the other team have the ball and see what they would do on stuff that we had already worked on. And I, I went, when I went to the, my interview for the, uh, the Henry County job, I was talking to the principal who was a good guy, a guy named Randall Ponder. And he was a good guy, good principal, good boss. And when I found out that there were two other guys that the community really wanted to have the job, I went in there to him. And we'd been practicing during the summer. And I went into him and I said, boss, I said, let me shut the door. I said, I'm, I found out this situation going on. And this is what I'm going to propose to you. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to get off the spot. I said, I want my teaching position. But if either one of those guys can answer this question, that means they're as qualified or more qualified than I am. And if they're as qualified as I am, you hire them because that'll take some heat off you. And I'm cool with it. He said, what's the question? I said, there's four seconds left in the game. The other team has just scored to go up one. What do you do? And he just sat there a minute. And he said, what do you mean? What do you do? I said, what have you already, what have you already practiced numerous times in that situation? He said, coach, he said, they don't know. Hmm. I, I know they don't know. And uh, he said, you got the job. You keep the job. And that's the way it's going to be. <laughs> and then I get up to leave. He said, by the way, coach, he said, what would you do? I said, we had a rule that we practiced numerous times. Four or more, when they score, we're gone. And we're going to attack the basket. If we can't get through it, we already know if we got a timeout. And we're going to get the ball as far up the floor as we can and call that timeout if we can't get a shot off. If it's less than four, we're taking it out. We're throwing it to half court and, right. and get a shot there. He said, he said, I knew I made the right decision. <laughs> yeah, I love that philosophy. I, um, but I don't, I don't know if enough coaches practice situations. Do you think? I, I don't, I don't know anymore. I like to go uh, every now and then I'll, I'll go watch a practice and, you know, but I don't like to, I just sort of like to stay in the background. Sure. Nowadays. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, when I was, I had a kid named uh, who's the best basketball player I ever had was a kid named Lamar Hurd. 
He played at Georgia, played on the Final Four team. He was uh, Dominic Wilkins' roommate. Yeah. And we're, play, we're playing Sylvan in the state tournament. And there's four seconds on the clock. They're shooting the free throw, game time. We go. And so I stand up, and Lamar is on the right side of the basket. He's facing the benches. And he puts a thumbs up. And he's telling me, we know what to do. The ball comes off his side. Miss Frito comes off his side. He takes the ball off the left side of the floor, dribbles past half court, and jumps up and nails that bat, that rascal. And we win by two. <laughs> and so after the game, you know, I got my arm around him, hugging him. And he said, you didn't, you, y'all didn't forget. He said, Coach, we were afraid to forget. <laughs> Practice enough. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's just good coaching right there, no doubt. Um, that's great advice. I think a lot of um, Tell me question is advice for our listeners. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah, give me some parting advice, whether that's a an experienced coach or a beginning level coach. Give me some parting advice for those coaches um, that they can use in their program today. And then how can the listeners get a hold of you? If they want to contact you, tell us a little bit about that if you can. Um, my advice to a young coach would be – don't be afraid to realize you do not have all the answers because you do not know most of the questions. My, my advice to them is try to learn from coaches that you respect. Not the successful coaches. Not, not the coaches that necessarily win all the state championships. Paul Sheets was, I learned so much from being in Region 4C with all them great coaches, and none of them had egos. All of them were good guys, good people, good role models, and to find some people and go watch ball games, and as crazy as it sounds, watch them on TV. You can learn so much from watching college and even at times pro basketball because those people do the best job of getting their best players on your worst player and making your worst player guard their best player. If you do not have good players, you've got to figure out some way to give your kids the best chance to win by, and it may not be, it, you know, my, my pet peeve is everybody wants the shot clock. And, you know, and I on, Insta, on Instagram, you know, I get into verbal with a lot of these folks that want the shot clock. And my, my this isn't what you wanted, but this is just something else. <laughs> with, the shot, with the shot clock, if I recruit and I cheat and I go get the best players 
make me play with a shot clock. That's what the pros, that's what the colleges do. They recruit. Put all of the cheaters in one division and put a 10-second shot clock. Let them just go crazy. Yeah. But if you're, te- if you're telling me that I've got no schools be named, but if you're telling me I got to play school A in my region that cheats or has the best players year in and year out, because sometimes the program can recruit the best players, I want a chance for my kids to succeed. And don't make me shoot the basketball. Now, as I tell people, we already have four shot clocks, and they're eight minutes. And that's enough. If I want to slow the game down, we played a team called East Atlanta years ago. They had Willie Anderson, had another kid, sure. two D one player. They've beaten us twice, or no, three times. No, twice. They've beaten us twice at their place in the Christmas Tour. Well, they're at our place. And we're 11 points down in the end of the quarter, and they are fixing to run us home. I mean, just run us slap down. They're jumping up and down. Talented teams, when they get on their toes and they start jumping around in the zone defense, you got problems. So I tell my guys, I said, guys, what we're fixing to do is stupid, but we're going to do it, and we're going to end up winning this game. What we're going to do? I said, we're going to slow the ball down. And we had a little one-three-one wheel offense, and I said, this is what's going to happen. And I said, when we throw that ball down to the corner, the baseline, Ryan, you spin and pin and get on Anderson. And when that ball comes back out to the wing, we're going to throw it into you, and you give the uh, – uh, you fake up and do the up and under move, and you're going to score and get fast. And then it's going to be eight. Sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Well, they go down and get a bad shot. But to make a long story short, the fact that we were able to make them do something that we wanted, that they didn't want to do, because eventually when the game got close, we pulled the ball out to half court. Sure. Well, then they had to come out of the zone because their egos got the best of them. And when we got them to play man-to-man, well, we had them. We had a little offense called whatever, what a lot of people run now called the flex. And they didn't know where to wind to watch or scratch their butt guarding the flex. And we shot layup, layup, layup. And we ended up beating them by four. But if we had not been able to slow the ball, we played man And this is a funny story. And we played a four o'clock game and, and uh, Machine Gun Kit or Machine Gun, whatever his name was, who was a good Travis something, Travis Grant. He's got a great ball club. Well, right before half, we're down four. And so we hold the ball. And so my, my I hear this coming out of the stand. Cedric, don't hold the ball. Shoot it. Shoot it. Shoot it. And so I hear this a couple of times. And so I finally turn around, and it's my wife yelling at Cedric to shoot the ball. And I said, Debbie. <laughs> I said, Debbie, I love you, but please let me coach the team. <laughs> well, at 4 o'clock game, everybody in the gym that was there could uh, could hear me, and I was not yelling. I was smart enough not to yell. Well, we end up 
taking the last shot and make it. Now the game's two. So we come out in the third quarter, and we rotate and control the tip, and we hold the ball. We stand out there at half court and hold the ball. And back then, you all you had to do was throw the pass the ball past the timeline. If And then you could bring it back out. Now, if they didn't come get you, you could just stand out there and eat a hot dog if you wanted to. So we just stood out there and held the ball and held the ball and held the ball. So finally, uh, machine gun, Nair, they're getting embarrassed because we're making them look bad. And so they make the mistake of coming out of that zone and guarding us. And we end up upsetting them because every time they'd go back in that zone, we'd hold the ball. Even when we were down, when we made them play our game, and we gave our chance a kid a chance a kids a chance to win, and you know that's something that I believe in and believe in and believe in. We did it against AC. We didn't win, but we did it against AC to try to keep the keep the score down. We played a guy named uh, Ben Dykes when I was at Monticello at Cochran, and he had a great girls team, and we were playing four on four the ball on them, and they played a 2-2 zone. We held the ball on them, mainly because our, we had two starters that were hurt and couldn't play the game, and that was, we just we just stuck two clubs in there, and my two best players held the ball, and he couldn't get it from us, and we ended up shooting layups, and we had a region meeting the next day, and he said, Chuck, he said, I'm going to tell you something right now. He said, I owe you. If we do anything in the state tournament, it's going to be because of you. I said, what do you mean, Ben? And he said, we had never in my career had anybody hold the ball on us like y'all did last night. And he said, we're ready for it from now on. And I said, well, I just hope we don't have to play anymore. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. And I totally am against the shot clock. I spoke to a friend of mine, Randy, Ohio. Uh, and um, we both run the four corners. I love the four corners offense. Oh, yeah. I tell you, Coach, like at a school like I'm at, I don't have great players. So I need to break and make the fast and expose them so he gets some easy shots. Um, And I would hate a shot clock. If you have a shot clock, what do you not have to play a lot of defense? Right. And if I'm on offense and you're better than me, I'm on, I want to make you play defense till I get the shot that I want. Now, I may not make it, but I want the shot that I want. I don't want you making me shoot the ball when the worst shooter I've got in the world it's got the ball, and because the shot clock is going down, we got to shoot it. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I just do not believe that in high school. I just, I just I'll cheat. Ten second shot clock, no doubt about it. <laughs> and have them all, them all play in the same league. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. Right, let's, you know, it's like I told Ernie and some of them down at GHS. I said, look, we're going about this recruiting stuff the wrong way. 
he he's a good friend of mine. Been a good he's a great he was a great referee and he does a great job down there. And I said, Ernie, we going about this about let's just let everybody be honest. He said, What do you mean? I said, You cheat, you recruit, fine. We ain't against that, but we're gonna put you all in the same league. <laughs> okay. And I'm not gonna mention any school's league school's name, but in that seven um uh, whatever the, the biggest classification and all there's a bunch of cheaters in that league right there and uh uh put them all in the same league let them have the state championship that's fine put a shot clock in so to have a whatever put on entertainment but don't make the average coach that tries to do it right don't take away a coaching option that you have and that's to slow the game down and uh, he said I don't think we're going to have the shot clock in Georgia he said most of our schools can't find a competent person to uh, to run the clock <laughs> much less much less a shot clock when they've got to know when to reset right and he said and also and he said I hate to remember <laughs> I hate to say this I don't know if we've got enough officials that'll know when to reset it. We can teach them. We've got a hard enough time teaching them as it is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, plus the cost of the clock and all. Um, but, yeah, to run that clock would take a lot of training. Um, it will. Yeah. Coach, thank you so much. I sure appreciate all your knowledge. I, I know it was a uh, – I took up a lot of your time, but um, – uh, I appreciate you sharing the knowledge with everybody. There's going to be a lot of coaches listening to this and uh, seeking your knowledge and writing notes down. And I, I know I learned a lot, and I appreciate you taking the time out. Right. If anybody wants to get in touch with me, they can you know, do my cell phone, which you've got, or they can, uh, they can email me, uh, Chuck Miller, all lower caps, Chuck Miller, 1496 at bellsouth.net. And then I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I'd be glad to be glad to. I'm not one of these kind of folks that you know. If you if you get on Instagram, and because uh, it's it's more than Facebook, you know, and you you look at some of the stuff some of these people post about how great they were. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, why don't you shut the heck up? <laughs> no, nobody. Nobody gives a rat's butt about that. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, that's great. I mean, I, um, well, you, you're actually pretty you're you're pretty good at technology. You got all the social media down, so you you've uh, you're doing pretty good with all that. Well, the best thing that happened to me is outside of my wife is when they made you put grades on the computer. Because you talk about a totally ignorant human being about a computer. <laughs> that was me. I mean, you know, but they said if you don't learn how to do this, you can't keep your job. Well, fortunately, we made our son take typing, and he 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 rebelled against it. He did not want it, but we made him take typing in high school. Well, fortunately, he's up on all this stuff. Sure. And uh and when we had to take that class, if it hadn't been for him, I'd have, I'd have never made it. But over a period of time, I've learned how to do some basic stuff. 
and getting on your site tonight was not one of them. <laughs> but I can I can blame it on my old phone. I guess. That's right. Um, but coach, thank you so much. I, I want to extend an invitation for you to come out and uh, to Lake Oconee Academy, and I uh, love to have you come out and visit the campus, watch a game. Um, because we have a beautiful campus out there. So I'm going to send you an invite for one of our games out here. Well, you know, we, we, we may try to do that. My son's wife's mother and daddy have just moved to Lake Oconee. Great, great. They're all, they're all, you go down 16 and go pat, go over the bridge and turn left. They're down in that whatever that is down there. We haven't been out there yet because they just moved. But, sure. You know, we may, we may visit them and, you know, try to come to a game. That would be great. I'll send you a schedule. Okay. That would be good. Coach, thank you so much. I appreciate all the knowledge. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for the consideration of, you know, talking to me. All right, Coach. Take care. Have a great night. And thanks, Debbie, as well. I will. Right. Thank, thank you. you and good luck this season. Right, thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Championship Productions. Championship Productions, the world's number one source for quality basketball instruction, has over 1,200 videos to help you improve your craft and win more games. Learn new drills, plays, and offensive defensive systems from America's top coaches, including Coach K, Greg Popovich, Gino Ariema, John Calipari, Tom Izzo, Bob Knight, Jay Wright, and many more. To purchase insert video title, visit www.championshipproductions.com or call 1-800-873-2730. This video is available via, via DVD or instant video where you can view the video on your favorite device. Be sure to download the app so you can favorite your chapters for easy playback. Championship Productions. Five players on the floor function as one single unit. Team, 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 right? No one more important than the other.